In 2020, Michelle Zurich was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. This came as a culmination of panic attacks that affected every aspect of her life. Many of you are going to be able to relate with Michelle as she shares the steps that she took to overcome anxiety and to live life fully. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Grant. Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope. With me today, I have Michelle Lazuric. She is a multi-genre award-winning author, literary agent, and certified writing coach. She is a nine-time award-winning author, including a two-time Children's Book of the Year and Article of the Year award winner. Welcome, Michelle. Michelle, let's start with your childhood. Did that have an impact on your anxiety issues that you had later in life? Yeah, I, I, it definitely did. Um, I came from a, um, uh, I would, I guess I would say stricter household, um, a little bit more controlling or micromanaged. Um, and my mom is, uh, as much as she could, um, did the best I think to parent out of her own uh, pain and struggle. And so she often was someone who I would describe as angry and I never quite knew where I stood with her. So I often walked on eggshells all the time in my house and combat that with, um, I went to Catholic school, I went to Catholic school my whole life and, uh, it was pretty competitive. It was a small class and, uh, it was 12 boys and 12 girls. And, um, there was definitely a need to kind of be the best in terms of academic performance. And I also think that being in a home where there was some favoritism um, also had an impact. Um, as someone who kind of was not the favorite, you learn how to earn the approval that you need. So um, I found my Atta Girls through performance and particularly through grades um, and good behavior, quote unquote good behavior. And I think all of that really did have an impact on how I cope and deal with life's tensions now. Um, so, yeah, so I think that growing up in that atmosphere, um, and like I said, it's, there's nothing wrong with, you know, being a parent and, and pushing your child to be the best. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think when the child is 
conditioned to believe that that's the only way that they can get worth and value is from their performance, then you have a problem because then the child grows up into an adult who wants to do the same thing. And it's almost like, you know, training an animal at the circus, you know, it's like giving them a treat for whatever behavior is desirable. And so when you have been conditioned with that, it's really deeply ingrained in your brain uh, to want to do that. And so if you if you grow up in a Christian environment later on, which is what I did, grew up Catholic, but then became born again Christian at the age of 18, you don't get rid of those behaviors unless someone helps you get out of them. And so it took a lot of years before I realized the grace of God and how much um, I don't have to perform for his love and approval. And um, am I there yet in terms of identity and knowing who I am in Christ? If I'm if I'm honest, probably not, but I'm getting there and I'm learning how not to rely on other people's approval or round of applause or anything else, which is so ironic considering, you know, Carol, we're in an industry that really does revolve around performance and if you have a platform, you have to have a bigger platform and all the things you have to do to get to arrive in this business. And so it really does fly in the face of the profession that we're in because it really is a lot about, you know, having good connections with people and, and, you know, having to have this showcase in your proposal of all the ways where you can quote unquote prove that you can write a good enough book to make some sales that a publisher will take a chance on you. So it, it really does, there is a constant tension at least for me in this industry of growing up the way that I did and not wanting to rely on that performance or that uh, wanting that approval um, because of a performance. So God is constantly having to remind me that it doesn't matter if my book reaches one, a hundred or a thousand people. What matters is that I was obedient to the calling that he gave me at that moment in that season. And then I was obedient to it. And I took the steps of faith to complete whatever it was that he was asking me to do. So um, I've learned a lot uh, just through this, you know, bout with anxiety, which, you know, again, is uh, good to say now, back two years ago when I was suffering through it, it was not a gift that I saw it is that it is today. But back then it was a real struggle. But I've learned to understand that I think through that tough, tough period, I've had to learn how to uh Except, I think, accept God's love and approval uh, as the graceful um, identity that it is, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And also, you really were very clear in the way you described it, and I appreciated that. Now, couple this with the fact that you said you were a type A control freak. Yeah. <laughs> So I were I'm, or still am. Well, that's why I said were, you know, and I, so, you know, I know you're going to talk about that. So that's why I put that emphasis on that. Yeah. Now explain why it is difficult for certain personalities, hello, to surrender. But don't tell us too much about um, your book. Just, we're first of all, I want to talk about the personality. Yeah, so I would describe myself as sort of that type A, get her done uh, personality. I'm very um, perfectionistic in the sense that when I do something, I want to do something right. And just to go back to your point, question regarding um, childhood 
uh, one of the, you know, you've heard about like unspoken slogans, family slogans in your home. That was one of my slogans that I heard. I heard that a lot, especially from my dad. If you don't, you know, do something right or don't do it at all. And so that was another thing that was deeply ingrained in in me was that if you're going to do something, you put your whole heart and soul into it and you do it with with everything. And so I think part of my perfectionistic tendencies probably come from that understanding um, that you I'm doing it the right way. I'm doing it with wholeheartedly, which, again, is not in and of itself is not a bad thing. Um, you know, I certainly would rather be someone who puts her whole heart and soul into something mm-hmm. rather than half-hearted. But at the same time, that can really give way to, I have to be perfect. Um, I can't fail at all um, or else God won't love me. And and then it kind of speaks into the lies of, you know, well, God's, you know, God likes this person better than me or he favors this other person better than me. And, and uh, so some of those lies and things, uh, were, were things I really had to sort through um, because my my diagnosis came right before COVID. So I, um, as I was struggling, probably about a week later, everything shut down as we all experienced, including my church. So I really didn't have much contact with anyone. And as a pastor's wife, that was tough because they knew I was struggling. And so that was tough uh, for them because they didn't know how I was doing and they really wanted to to get to know me and make sure I was doing okay. And at the same time, really couldn't uh, have much contact. But um, but yeah, I think um, having said all that, I think that uh, being that type A perfectionistic personality um, can lend itself to being a more anxious person because you're always wondering if what you're doing is enough. Not necessarily that you're enough, but whether your performance is enough. And I think that's something that I struggled with even as a kid, um, you know, having to be the best um, at something, uh, whether or not to gain someone's approval. Um, and so, you know, as opposed to someone who might be a bit more laid back, take things as they come, uh, you know, relax type personality. Um, yeah, type A's, I think can be a little more prone to that because we don't want to lose control and we don't want to give up the control that we have, which really was one of the biggest lessons that I had to learn through the whole process. Now, during this time, you felt that your life was out of control and that you were falling apart. Yeah. You were put on medication. You were under the care of counselors and psychologists. Just address that if you would, because I know that there are a lot of people who, especially during that same era, that same time frame of COVID and the restrictions and the shutdowns, et cetera, experienced that. Some of them were never able to get through that or get over that or whatever. <laughs> so explain how how deep it was, you know, so that people can relate to that part. And then we're going to take a short 15 second break and then we're going to talk about what really happened that is so exciting so yeah. continue to share about the struggle at this point yeah so as as we mentioned before you know kind of having that anxiety since i was a kid it was something that i could always control pretty much uh throughout my my childhood i found ways to cope with it and uh keep it under control and that was until right before COVID hit in 2020. And it was just a culmination of a lot of things, work deadlines and, and personal tensions. And and everything that was going on in my life felt like this tsunami. And what started off as little pangs of fear 
quickly became these waves of panic that I couldn't control. And it get, got to the point where I was literally waking up afraid and going to bed afraid. Like I would oh. stare up at the ceiling and I'd have like my Apple watch on and it would it would uh, test the heart rate. And my heart rate would be 130, 140, sometimes 150. Like that's like running range. Uh-huh. And I'm just laying uh-huh. there. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Like my pulse is racing. My heart is pounding. And I'm just sitting there and there's nothing to be fearful about. And yet that was where my body and my mind were at that point. And so when you get to that point, there really is no area of your life that anxiety has not touched. And so because of its deep impact, I did have to seek the help of counselors and psychologists and did receive medication. Uh Um, And that medication has been tremendously helpful for me um, during that. And so I want to, you know, encourage your audience and we'll get to that in a little bit. But, uh, you know, if you need some of those things, don't be afraid to, to seek the help of that, especially Christian counselors, because they really do deal with mind, body and spirit. And I think some of those emotional things that maybe weren't dealt with quite completely from childhood and from uh, you know current events um, can really have an impact on the way you view the world today. And so um, there is no shame in getting help if you need it. There is no shame in getting medication if you need it, just as our bodies break, our brains break. And uh, you would never tell a heart patient, well, just go off your medication, be, uh, your heart meds, because, uh, you know, just have faith. Like you would take the medication. It's the same thing with mental health. And Mental Health Awareness Month was just last month. And it was uh, great to see a little bit more of an awareness being brought to the forefront of uh, mental health, especially in the wake of us coming out of this pandemic, um, that I bet it's probably a, a harder issue uh, than people realize. And definitely something that is not being dealt with by the church as thoroughly, as thoroughly or as graciously as it could. And so my hope in doing podcasts like this is to help bring awareness to people that as a pastor's wife, yeah, I needed some help. And I wasn't ashamed to get that. And I want people to feel encouraged as they walk away uh, from this podcast called Never Ever Give Up Hope that there is hope. And sometimes God does choose to heal through medication and counseling and, uh, you know, working through emotional issues um, that are, might be at the crux of some of those, those things. That is so important. I am so glad that you shared that. And I I trust that it really spoke to those who may be in that frame of mind of feeling guilty or feel ashamed. So thank you. We're going to take a quick break now. And I know that when we come back, you are going to talk about, first of all, how to the different strategies that you applied and that we can apply so that we can experience life in its fullest as you are going to share regarding surrender and your book and i am so anxious to hear about your book so we will be right back carol graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir battered hope She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another. Gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering, or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. 
This has been so informative today to hear Michelle Lazarick talk about anxiety, stress, struggle, mental health, essentially, and the different things that she had to go through because, first of all, how she was brought up, what her personality was, and I think many of you have related to that. Type A personalities, got to get her done, etc. What we're going to talk about next is the word surrender. I'm not going to say any more about that because Michelle has a lot that she's going to share, not just about the subject, but also about her own story. Now, first of all, apply practical tips and strategies to overcome anxiety and incorporate surrender into everyday life. That's a statement that you made that really has quite the punch. So start with that and share that, please. Uh, yes. Yeah, so the anchor verse for uh, the uh, the book is Exodus 14. And that really is where um, uh, the Israelites look out. They see that they're surrounded uh, by armies. They're complaining to Moses, you know, why you have us here? We're going to die. We never wanted to be here. And Moses says, stand firm and watch the Lord, what the Lord will do. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And so it's actually when they give up their weapons, which is so counterintuitive, that the whole rest of the text are the things that God mm-hmm. did because they chose to lay things down. And so the big question of the book in every chapter leaves the reader with what area of your life are you not are you willing to let go of and willing to mm. surrender to God so that he can do the impossible in your life? And so when I think about some of the practical tips and strategies that I used during that time to surrender, which of course, you know, for me as a personality like that, it's difficult. Um, But the first thing I did was pray. And I know that sounds so simplistic, but I think we really have to do, we have to get real with God. Um, Some of the most powerful prayers I've ever prayed are help or uh, thank you. Or sometimes I just don't have words at all. I just you know, cry out to God. And I think God really does wonderful things when we are really real with him. And unfortunately in the church model, we don't have that, a good model set up for transparency. Um, It's easy to grab your coffee in the foyer, you know, five minutes before the service starts and, you know, hi, how are you? Oh, good. You know, how are the kids? Good. And you walk into the church and, Mm -hmm. you know, we sing the song, I Surrender All, we wave our hands and then we go home and we keep everything to ourselves. And then when it comes time to really lay down the areas of our life, it becomes more and more difficult. And so I think when we can cry out to God um, in in that transparency and vulnerability of, of where we're at, um, and how far we've fallen, I think, is when God does these incredible things. And I think we can be really surprised um, to find <laughs> that God meets us in miraculous ways in those moments, even though they feel like, uh, you know, your your life is out of control. It really is. You're giving over control to the Lord. And I think that's one of the more important things. And I think the second thing is what we've just mentioned, which is to seek help. Um, there's no shame in asking for it. Um, we all need people to help hold up our hands like, uh, you know, Aaron um, held up Moses's hands when he was tired. That was when the battle was won, when his hands were being held up uh, by a friend. And I think we need people uh, in our lives, you know, professionals that will help us get through um, the difficult times in our lives. So often we're, you know, we want to put that away and say we're fine and we don't really deal with the really tough issues that are really what we're facing today. And um, I think when we can get help from people 
um, who are professionals in the, in the area, we can really find that we can not only cope with our own issues and problems, but at the same time help others who might be struggling as well. And then I think the third thing is just to find community. And I think it's the one thing that I want to leave this audience with today is that if you're not in a local church body, please get into one. Um, just coming back from COVID, you know, it was tough. It was tough for me to come back that first week. Uh, people knew of my struggle. And, you know, there was, of course, shame and embarrassment of, of going back the first time. And people were just so gracious and they were loving. And the outpouring of support that I received not only when we were shut down during COVID, but also after was wonderful. And I think the most uh, important thing that I received from that were the stories of people who had personally struggled with mental health or had people in their lives that had struggled with mental health. And there were more people that understood what I was going through than I even realized or I would give credit for. And so when I, but it wouldn't be until I got into that community setting that I would actually find that out. So I would encourage people that there may be more uh, people that you sit next to in the pew that are struggling um, with mental health uh, that you may not know. And uh, it's important to make your story known so that um, you can receive the help from others who are struggling and then also, again, be that help to other people. I think, uh, you know, I'm always a big advocate for small groups and churches. I think that's the best way to cultivate community. I don't think you get community on a Sunday morning in a foyer. I think you get it uh, being real and honest with people in a small group setting where your trust is developed, connection is deepened, and then you can really start to share about your uh, you know, personal prayer requests and struggles and things like that as you start to get more deeply into your communication. So find that community, find that small group that's really going to help keep your hands up when you're struggling and then also clap their hands when you're really uh, doing well. We all need someone to help us and we need that that circle of people around us who are there to cheer us on and to help us when we fall. So mental health is certainly not for the faint of heart and uh, we certainly cannot do it on our own. So when you sense someone in your community is struggling and they are being very careful and they're not saying anything and they're hiding behind any number of facades or masks that very often we do and a lot of us as Christians do because we of the shame, which is exactly what you have already addressed. So when you see that person and you are drawn to them and you want to help them, how do you approach them? I have always believed that we have to earn our right to be in people's lives. I I think we so often, you know, and I think social media has done this too, where it blurs the lines between, uh, you know, what's appropriate and inappropriate for Christians to, to share as uh, telling other people, speaking truth and love in other people's lives. I probably would not approach to someone that I didn't really know. Um, but I would, if they were struggling, I probably would ask if they wanted to go out for coffee or just have someone to share with and uh, get to know them first before I ever spoke into the problem. When the reality is sometimes people just want someone to listen to them. They just want someone to hear mm -hmm. them and they want to be valued um, and they want their feelings validated. What's the right way and the wrong way to do life? And uh, in this non don't judge me type of worldview, it's getting harder and harder, to be honest, <laughs> with people telling them, you know, helping them figure out what life is. And it's that's what leaders do that do leadership well is strike that balance between grace and truth. At the same time, we have to earn that right. And so often we kind of just throw those Facebook, uh, Instagram opinions out there and we haven't really earned the right uh, to to speak to our audience. And so um, 
we really have to learn how to strike that balance and we have to learn how to love and meet people's needs first before we ever get that right to speak. Thank you, Michelle. Now, please share with us about your book. So the book title is called I Surrender All Sort Of, Laying Down Our Plans So God Can Do the Impossible. And uh, and yeah, it's um, all my books are my babies. Um, this one has a special place in my heart because it really probably is one of the more vulnerable ones that I've written just in terms of my own struggle with anxiety. And so um, you know, if you are someone struggling with anxiety, there's hope for you. And my hope is that this book will provide the hope that you're looking for and the encouragement that you're looking for. And um, yeah, you can find it on Amazon. You can find it on my website, michellezurich.com um, and Elk Lake Publishing Inc. inc.com. Expound. We need some more about the book. Who should buy it? Is it a story? Is it is it just strategies? What is it? Tell us about it. Well, it's it's the anger verse of, of Exodus 14, um, but through the story of the backdrop of my struggle with generalized anxiety okay. disorder, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it's it's 19 chapters and it goes through each area of your life that you might be unwilling to lay down. Mm. So there could be m- many. Uh, finances, children, marriage, uh, whatever the case may be, um, that's what the book addresses is every area of your life that you might be unwilling to lay down and ask yourself the question, what is it that I am unwilling to lay down? Um, And if I do so, uh, allow God to do the impossible in my life. Explain lay down. Forfeit, um, give up. I'm, I'm looking for you to expound a little bit more about this like from a practical level because you're, I realize you're speaking in generalities and that's great. But give us an example. Take the example of uh, my kids. Um, you know, as a pastor's wife, um, you know, it's easy to want to have uh, kids that, you know, walk these perfect examples of life. And of course, as we all know, that doesn't always happen. And uh, I would say, especially with someone like my daughter who, you know, is struggling with, um, with life and applying God to her life, but also wanting to be accepted and loved and all those greater needs that a teen faces. Um, I think for me, learning to allow her to make the choice as to whether or not God is real for her and uh, to allow herself to live a quote unquote godly life, I think is um, so important. And so that was the uh, story that I used was um, kind of laying down her uh, good behaviors and example, church example, and allowing her to make the choice between whether or not she wanted to uh, kind of live a, a life that would be pleasing to God. So, um, yeah, so that would be one area uh, that I have expounded on in in the book, specifically for myself, was my own area of my children and not allowing their behaviors, good or bad, to reflect on how good or bad a parent I am, but rather um, allowing them, both my son and my daughter, but particularly my daughter, to make the choice of whether or not they want God for themselves and to live a life. Um, And I'm not talking about church attendance or anything like that. I'm talking about really living a life that's an example of what a Christian should live. What do you feel is, in general, one of the most difficult areas for most people to surrender? I think it varies for everyone. I would imagine for Christians, it's probably kind of that outward reputation or outward. Like a mask, right? Yeah. Like, the, yeah, I guess surrendering that and just being real with people. I think church, church has always struggled with being messy. 
and allowing messy people to enter in. And I think when we as Christians can really take off that mask and be real with each other and with God, that's when we can be a light to people who who may not know God at this point. So um, I think that's probably the hardest for Christians to surrender. And I imagine, again, I think for everyone, uh, you know, even with those who may not, uh, you know, be living for God at this point, I think it can vary. I think sometimes uh, since we're told all the time that love is kind of this ultimate uh, goal to achieve, to have a good life, I think marriage or relationships are probably the hardest thing for people to surrender. Uh, because we can't really control the other person. We can only control ourselves. So I think it's hard for people to let go of relationships that are, that they care about deeply um, because we're afraid of what the outcome is going to be or losing them altogether. So I would say probably relationships or a mask is probably things that are difficult for, for everyone to surrender. And who should buy the book? Well, the audience is, uh, you know, Christians who have been living uh, for a long time and they want to go deep in their spiritual life, but they don't know how to get started or they're struggling with the idea of surrender and don't know how to get started. I think that's the primary audience, probably the secondary or tertiary audience is probably those struggling with mental illness, particularly Christians who don't, who don't know how to uh, be able to express that out outwardly without feeling the need to be judged. I think is are those the people that would need to buy the book because it really does offer hope and encouragement for both of those areas to people. And I use my example. I knew God was going to make me write about it even when I was struggling. So I was like, I better get this, you know, I better get this uh, deal with this as much as I could and get over the difficulty of it because I knew he was going to use it. But at the same time, um, it's good because I think it can give, uh, you know, people hope and encouragement and also just to show that even people who, you know, leaders in the church, like a pastor's wife or a pastor or, you know, uh, a leader of some sort can struggle with this and that it's okay. It's okay not to be okay. And it's okay to have a struggle and uh, work within the, those limitations. It's okay not to be okay. I love it. Perfectly said. Now, what about some reviews? Do you have any really exciting reviews to share? They don't even have to be written reviews, just some, you know, how, how it has helped somebody in particular or in general. There were a lot of people in my church who bought it that um, really said they were, they were impacted deeply. I think the ones that uh, make me smile the most are those that have said that they're devouring it or they want another book because they've highlighted it so much. I think those are the types of uh, feedback that I get that just makes me happy because, uh, you know, writing a book is, mm-hmm. it's like having a baby, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's such a labor. And by the ninth and 10th month, when you're struggling at the end there and you're doing like the eighth round of edits, you know, you think to yourself, I better pack it up and, and not do this anymore because this is so hard. Um, every time I would feel like that, I would think to myself, okay, think to myself six months from now when someone's reading it and has deeply impacted their life. Right. And so when I get those, that feedback, uh, I feel like, okay, it was worth the labor that I went through the tediousness of making sure every word was perfect and, and perfectly edited and strung together because, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's what we all want, which is to make an impact and make a difference in people's lives. And whether that's one person in your church or one person, you know, at your workplace or wherever you are, um, we all want that ultimate need to to make an impact, make our lives matter. And I think by writing a book and having people say, you know, I want to get this for people in my small group or uh, I just, you know, what you said in chapter three about anxiety was deeply profound and it really made me think about um how I deal with my children or how I deal with anxiety in general. Um, 
or that I think I have more anxiety than I even realized I had, I think are all things that really have, uh, have impacted me in a positive way and almost makes me want to write another one. Not quite there, but almost. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I, I love your synopsis. That was excellent. Now, is there anything else you want to say in closing? Yeah, I think that there's hope. You know, and it's why we're, you know, it's why, Carol, it's why you do this podcast. It's why people like me ask to come on these podcasts, because as long as you have a pulse, you're not done. And uh, if we get another moment or another day to serve uh, each other and God, then it's a good day, even when it's at our worst day. And I think just looking back at that really tough season in my life, probably one of the more difficult, and I've been through some tough stuff. One of the more difficult parts of my life, even on the worst day, when I felt like there was nothing that could get any worse, I remember thinking to myself, I'm so glad I have the Lord because even on my worst day, it was better than not having him at all. And just knowing that he was there, feeling like I wasn't alone, feeling like I could talk to him at any time and that I could feel his presence, that for me was so encouraging, even in the moments when I just didn't feel like being encouraged or feeling so in such despair. It was so nice to feel like I wasn't alone. And even when there was no one around me, I still felt like I wasn't alone. And I, I, you know, I thought to myself a lot, I'm so glad that, um, you know, God is real, God is present, and uh, that he chooses to love me enough to meet me in this dark, dark place. So, you know, if someone is out there and they're really in despair, you know, never, ever give up hope. There's always hope in God. And with Jesus, there's nothing that you can ever say or do that has not already been covered by the blood of Christ. And that, for me, is what gets me out of bed every morning. Michelle, you have challenged us. You have given us things to think about. You have encouraged us to remove the masks and to be real. And I thank you so much for what you have shared, both your pain and your excitement and your book and everything wrapped together in this short interview. So we are looking forward to sharing your book and sharing your story. And I thank you for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Carol. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.